By the 1970s, Major League Hockey seemed creaky and stale. The National Hockey League had monopolized the market for decades, and it lagged behind the rest of the changing sports landscape. The World Hockey Association changed all of that. In 1972, it shocked the sports establishment by stealing the NHL's reigning superstar, Bobby Hull, and then raiding other NHL clubs of their top talent. The WHA also smashed the tradition button-down image of professional ice hockey and embraced the funky disco beat of the 1970s. WHA players sprouted long hair and afros, and they weren't afraid to express their individuality. On the ice, the WHA introduced regular season overtime and offensive-minded rules that we take for granted today. It wasn't always pretty, but ice hockey was fun in the World Hockey Association. Welcome to Good Seats Still Available, a curious little podcast devoted to exploring what used to be in professional sports. Here's your host, Tim Hanlon. All right, friends, buckle up for safety. Here we are. It's the World Hockey Association on this week's episode. We welcome you to it. My name is Tim Hanlon, and of course, this is Good Seats Still Available, that curious little podcast that is devoted to what used to be in professional sports. The voice that you heard there, especially if you uh, live or have grown up in the Indianapolis, Indiana area of the United States, of course, is the uh, legacy dulcet tones of Mr. Bob Lamy, who uh, not only is the today the uh, the voice of the Indianapolis Colts and was uh, for a time the voice of the Pacers and a whole bunch of other things, but one of his first gigs was calling the games for the WHA's Indianapolis Racers. And uh, as we get into our second little excursion into the WHA, and of course, we got that underway with our pal Ed Willis a few episodes back with his book, The Rebel League. Uh, we're going to go a little deeper with uh, with Tim here. Uh, Tim Gasson, as you may know, uh, is the uh, proprietor of, the founder of, the curator of, uh, the, uh, the uh, idea generator behind uh, an amazing, comprehensive site uh, and trove of information known as the WHA Hall of Fame. It's at whahof.com. And it actually got its start uh, from his uh, childhood memories and passion for the Indianapolis Racers, which we heard uh, in the uh, clip that uh, preceded my little uh, ramblings here. Uh, and uh, that uh, that clip actually came from one of the many documentaries that uh, Tim Gasson has put together uh, under the uh, umbrella of the World Hockey Association Hall of Fame. Uh, that documentary is called Red, White, and Blues, Indianapolis Racers Hockey. And it is just one of uh, uh, a few uh, uh, scores, actually, of uh, documentaries, uh, video, uh, game footage, uh, some of which you'll find on the site, some of which is available for purchase uh, in DVD and uh, Blu-ray form. Uh, but also, uh, Tim and his team have put together uh, a whole host of uh, publications uh, as well, books uh, recounting various uh, team histories, including that of the uh, Indianapolis Racers and, and some others, but also uh, some amazing uh, recreations and reproductions of uh, some of the original source material from the old WHA itself. Uh, a couple of books actually are, uh, and we'll have all these posted on our website, of course, uh, with this episode description. Um, but, uh, these, uh, books that, uh, Tim and team have put out, uh, they are, uh, they, uh, actually include the original content from the original game programs of the WHA back in the day. 
that have been sort of locked into these uh, uh, dusty old uh, uh, publications that have never sort of seen the digital light of day. Uh, and also what I think is especially fascinating are uh, direct and exact and lovingly recreated where needed uh, reproductions of the actual media guides of the teams themselves. And again, this is uh, we're talking about a league that lasted from 1972 to 79. So we're talking, I don't know, a couple of dozen teams, some of which, you know, didn't last full seasons and stuff. But there's uh, an amazing uh, uh, assemblage there of uh, of great content that has never really been seen before unless uh, you've been a collector or a hoarder. Uh, of some of those uh, original publications from uh, back in the day. But our conversation with Tim Gasson coming up, uh, this is uh, sort of our, uh, I guess, sophomore level class uh, on the WHA and uh, gets into some of the uh, uh, the ins and outs of, uh, of, of collecting this stuff, uh, preserving it. Uh, we get into some uh, interesting chats about uh, how uh, uh, lovingly embraced and or ignored and pushed aside uh, the WHA and its history is with, say, folks like the National Hockey League and various halls of fame and stuff. This is a very fun conversation. Uh, I uh, urge you to uh, sit back and to relax, but indeed uh, make sure that that uh, seatbelt is buckled uh, tightly in case of any uh, bumps along the way, because uh, there will certainly be a few uh, as we get through our conversation. But before we do that, uh, I want to remind you of two great sponsors that are extremely relevant for this conversation because both places are going to, uh, have uh, quite a bit of uh, WHA stuff uh, that would be perfect to uh, to listen to this episode with or uh, be incentivized to uh, to go and purchase after you've heard this episode uh, and perhaps uh, re-listen to it a couple of times because it's that good. Uh, one, of course, is our old friends at uh, SportsHistoryCollectibles.com. Uh, SportsHistoryCollectibles.com is the place to go to find uh, a, a tremendous trove of memorabilia, uh, some of those original game programs that we referenced before, media guides and pennants and buttons and uh, and you name it, all kinds of souvenirs from the past uh, in teams and leagues that don't exist anymore or just that uh, been previously were previously incarnated. Uh, our friend uh, Dean Mitchell and friends uh, at sportshistorycollectibles.com, they're putting new stuff up there just about every week. It was a wonderful photography of all these items, and uh, I'm pretty sure you're going to find something that you're going to... Uh, be uh, really interested in and want to own for yourself. And of course, when you do so, you do determine that. Make sure you use the promo code GOODSEATS at checkout and get 15% off all of your purchases. SportsHistoryCollectibles.com, promo code GOODSEATS to get your 15% discount on all the great stuff available for purchase at SportsHistoryCollectibles.com. And once you're done there, I want you to then point your web browser to this URL, and that's OldSchoolShirts.com oldschoolshirts.com. Yes, just exactly how it sounds. That's how it's spelled. You want to uh, check that out. Our friend P.F. Wilson there and his friends in the uh, Cincinnati, Ohio area uh, have uh, a, uh, a a dramatic uh, and uh, awesome assemblage of uh, all kinds of shirts uh, that uh, have uh, the logos that you love and remember uh, and in uh, stylish uh, shirts and uh, in distressed looks and feels, uh, high quality stuff. Uh, and you're going to find a, a whole bunch of World Hockey Association uh, logos uh, and teams and, uh, and and shirts there uh, to amaze your friends and uh, and stun uh, the youngins with uh, your knowledge of hockey history. Uh, so make sure you check out the WHA and hockey areas of OldSchoolShirts.com uh, and make sure, of course, that you use the promo code there. That's also good seats. That's that promo code, good seats, for 10% off of your purchases there as well. That's at oldschoolshirts.com. 
Use that promo code GOODSEATS for 10% off of all of your purchases. And we thank them as well for their patronage and their support of our show. Uh, And we appreciate you listening to our fine interview with our new friend, Tim Gasson. He, the proprietor and the originator of the World Hockey Association Hall of Fame and a whole bunch of memorable uh, content and uh, remembrances of a, a dynamite league known as the WHA. And here is our chat now. One of the more sort of passionate sets of uh, episodes that we've done thus far is around hockey. Uh, and we did scratch the surface a couple of weeks ago with uh, with Ed Willis and his book about the WHA. But, you know, I don't from from my research, it doesn't seem like there's anybody out there who is, uh, I guess, more synonymous with sort of keeping the the legacy and the history and the memories alive of the old WHA than you. And I want to start really with um, how you even got into this uh, this league, uh, this the uh, the whole idea and keeping it alive. Uh, just, you know, uh, to give our audience a sense of sort of where your passion uh, and all your activities coming from. Well, uh, <clears throat> Tim, passion is absolutely the word. This fall, we'll be celebrating the 10th anniversary of the World Hockey Association Hall of Fame. Uh, as you know, that's uh, three years longer than the league itself existed. So I, I, we, we have, uh, I have the help of some other passionate people, but where it all stems from is uh, the fact that I grew up as a youngster with the league um, in Indianapolis, Indiana. I followed the NHL, but then we got this uh, WHA franchise, the Indianapolis Racers. And Indianapolis was very much the poster child for a new market for the World Hockey Association, bringing Major League Hockey to cities that never had it before. Uh, places like uh, Hartford, Connecticut, and Winnipeg, Manitoba, and Edmonton. Um, and uh, I was enthralled by this hockey team. So it became the first hockey team that I followed fervently in person as a kid. Now, uh, <clears throat> I'm the same age as Wayne Gretzky, so I got to see him come to Indianapolis. We were the same age. Um, and, of course, that was fascinating. Even at that point, he was famous as a 17-year-old. Uh, being paid more than a million dollars to play hockey in the World Hockey Association. So um, that's how initially I was excited about it. As an adult then, going into media, I became a journalist and a filmmaker. I noticed that there was no one really doing the documentation and kind of archive work needed to make sure that the history of the World Hockey Association survived. And so I started to contact uh, former owners of WHA teams, coaches, players, um, fans, other media members who uh, uh, covered the team back in the day, and we put together the uh, World Hockey Association Hall of Fame. I'm excited that enough people were um, interested in this history that we're able to uh, con- continue to this day and get a heck of a lot done in this last 10 years. Well, so uh, before we sort of get into sort of more of the origins of your uh, of your fandom and that sort of got it all going, um, the the World Hockey Association Hall of Fame, it's an actual thing, an actual physical repository, or is it co-located somewhere? Give our audience a sense of of what this thing is that you've built, essentially. Well, you know, we're very proud that uh, we're very modern in the way that we have a very substantial website that has a lot of free materials, the largest statistical database of WHA materials 
that's uh, available anywhere, and that's free to look at, a lot of video, a lot of feature articles, stuff like that. But we're also delighted that we have an actual physical museum display. Our official display is at the United States Hockey Hall of Fame, which is in Minnesota. And uh, so that's the National uh, Hall of Fame for all of American hockey. And we're on the second floor. We're delighted to be there. We have a very large display um, uh, there, and, and we're excited that uh, we have a permanent exhibit at the United States Hockey uh, Hall of Fame. Uh, besides that, and the websites, uh, we operate social media sites, and I do uh, reunions and showings of the documentaries that we've produced um, and uh, player events all over uh, North America, all over Canada and the United States. And that's the, the main way that we uh, go and celebrate in different cities that had WHA teams, uh, their history and some of these wonderful characters who inhabited the WHA. Yeah, and we're, we're going to uh, tout uh, these uh, websites uh, early and often uh, during the course of the uh, of this episode and, and the beginning of the end of it, too, uh, in, our, in our pre- and post-recordings. But uh, the... Um, the website, the, the one of the websites uh, that uh, you need to bookmark early and often is WHAHOF, as in Hall of Fame.com, WHAHOF.com. And uh, the United States Hall of Fame Museum, United States Hockey Hall of Fame Museum, is in, uh, is it Elevith, Minnesota? Is that how they pronounce it? Yeah, Elevith, Minnesota, which is uh, north uh, of uh, Minneapolis. And <clears throat> it's uh, in the most famous area for American hockey players. Uh, there's two great areas of, uh, of places where historically where American hockey players have come out of in the New England area and right around Everett, Minnesota, in rural Minnesota. It's called the Iron Belt. Half of the U.S. Uh, 1980 Olympic team came from right around Everett, and uh, WHA players came from the Iron Belt right around uh, uh, the Everett. Uh, area and so it's a beautiful building, a wonderful place to go visit um, in uh, Eveleth, north of uh, Minneapolis, and we're, you know, really excited to uh, be there. But you know, everyone can't make it to rural Minnesota, so that's why we like to go around and have events. We've had events at the Toronto uh, Hall of Fame, uh, events in Calgary and uh, in Winnipeg, um, and then closer to home uh, here in the United States as well. And I'm in Tucson, Arizona, so if I can create and grow the World Hockey Association Hall of Fame living in Tucson, Arizona, then I'm telling you, Tim, anything is possible in sports. <laughs> See, and that's it. And that is passion uh, beyond the call of duty. All right. Before we get off the uh, Hall of Fame idea, uh, this is actually something uh, that has popped up in some of our other uh, sports exploits. And, and I'm really curious to sort of, uh, I, I guess, sort of twin questions here. One... Uh, how were you able to achieve, um, you know, some kind of relationship with a, uh, a broader hall of fame, a professional or sport in this case, us hockey hall of fame, uh, relationship. And then related, what has been the relationship, uh, or, or if any, uh, with folks in the NHL regarding, uh, let's say the history and the background of the WHA, because I, I think in both cases, and again, we've seen this with other sports, with other uh, other uh, folks trying to memorialize uh, leagues that have come and gone. It's almost sort of like a, um, how can I best put it, a willful ignorance or a desire to almost not remember because of either failure or it was a challenging time, let's say, for 
the halls of fame or leagues, whatever, that wound up sort of winning out or, or were still left standing. So maybe you've got some answers to those questions. Yeah, you know, for the, for the first part, my background in media and also hockey really helped me to establish uh, the legitimacy of the WHA Hall of Fame. Uh, when I would go and uh, meet significant players and uh, hockey people, especially from that era to solicit their participation, I knew more about their careers than they did. They knew I was a guy who really cared uh, about this history and was doing it for the right reason. So many people had picked through the bones of the WHA throughout the 1980s and 1990s, um, thinking that uh, copyrights uh, were available, that trademarks were available. Let's see if we can make a quick buck uh, uh, by trying to rip off the memory of the league. So by the time that I came around about 10 years ago, um, uh, people who were involved, especially the players, were so hungry for someone who really did believe in the legacy of what they created there and knew about it. You know, the fact that I watched the league uh, myself, even as a kid, I mean, I was covering the league as a 16-year-old high school journalist. So um, the fact that uh, I saw it firsthand, um, I would meet players who I had met, uh, you know, 30 years earlier or 35 years earlier and explained, um, you probably don't remember me because I weigh 150 pounds more than I did um, and am six inches uh, taller than when you met me when I was 14 years old in Indianapolis, Indiana. But I was there. And uh, that made a real difference. And uh, perhaps, you know, hockey is a really small family, especially major league hockey. Not a lot of people. Uh, uh, are excellent enough to make it to that level. So your reputation, whether it's good or bad, very quickly uh, is communicated throughout that family. And I was very fortunate that some prominent hockey people um, uh, believed in what we were doing and spread the word and opened all those doors for me. And it was amazing that I found how many WHA guys we're in front offices of current NHL teams. Every NHL team has a high executive who got their start in the WHA. I, that was fascinating to me. <clears throat> and then, you know, meeting with, uh, uh, for instance, the leadership of the Toronto Hall of Fame. Um, this was a few years ago when Bill Hay was the CEO of the Toronto Hall. Uh, Bill Hay is a famous former NHL player with the Chicago Blackhawks, sure. um, and that's where I knew him from. <clears throat> he was very receptive to what we were doing, and I asked Bill, says, you know, this is really fascinating. Uh, you're so connected to the National Hockey League. You're so well-known um, as a player in that league. Um, uh, I'm, I'm so thankful that you're so receptive to what we're doing, but do you have some kind of personal connection here? And I didn't even know it. He was a part owner of a WHA team. <laughs> back in the day after he had stopped his career, after he had ended his career. So even he, the president of the uh, Toronto Hall of Fame, had a personal connection to the WHA. He's from Calgary. He was a part owner in the Calgary franchise. And he wanted people to remember that the WHA was the league that brought Major League Hockey to uh, Calgary, Alberta. I thought that was uh, uh, fascinating and, and was just uh, it's such a great example of how the WHA really uh, still exists in the highest level of Major League Hockey. 
So, but what of the league itself? Right, the NHL obviously is uh, taken on so many different sort of, uh, yeah, much like other sports, right? It's become gigantically large, uh, big business, and uh, you know, expansion and national television and whatever that the, that happened in Las Vegas this year. It just says, you know, I don't think anybody huh. saw coming. You know, it's it's obviously on a different sort of level, and I. You know, it's interesting. We've had interesting conversations with uh, with various folks. For example, the Whaler guys out of Hartford, right? Who still, you know, cling to that sort of wish or that uh, that dream that they could get an NHL amazing. franchise, yeah. back, right? But you know, it, amazing. But, but it's amazing. It's also uh, you know you recognize that you know the the Whalers obviously got their start in the WHA, and it's still a very popular logo uh, when it comes to merchandise uh, sales and all that kind of stuff. Still to this day, years and years after. The franchise, uh, you know, left. So I guess years later. Yes. What I'm really interested in is is sort of how much. And look, there's nobody who's been more passionate and uh, and determined than you to sort of keep this WHA thing uh, alive and and, and in in the memory and in the collective consciousness. What does the NHL say to you when when you either approach them or dialogue with them or people within the various organizations that you communicate with? I mean, do they remember? Do they want to remember? Do they want to? Forget it. They didn't want you to, you know, kind of go away. Or where is the WHA in your mind, in their minds? Yeah, this is very interesting because one of the things that sets the World Hockey Association apart from other defunct leagues is that former entities from the league still exist now as, as NHL teams. They made that transition as part of the merger in 1979. And that can complicate this kind of relationship because it isn't like uh, 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 an ABA that, that uh, doesn't exist anymore and really has been completely absorbed by another league. Uh, you know, the Edmonton Oilers and Winnipeg Jets, even though they're the new version of the Winnipeg Jets, are a real reminder uh, about the World Hockey Association. You know, uh, for the, a couple of years ago, um, for the 45th anniversary of the Edmonton Oilers, uh, that's the 45th anniversary going back to when they started in the WHA in 1972. They put patches on their jerseys, much to the displeasure of the National Hockey League, saying 45 years. And everyone was very confused because the NHL merchant, uh, has their merchandise that says Winnipeg Jets, Edmonton Oilers established 1979. They ignored that the WHA existed. Well, the, you know, the fans in Winnipeg and Edmonton, also in Hartford and Quebec City, um, they know that Major League started in 1972 with the WHA. So it's fascinating when you see leagues like the NBA and the NFL, for instance, have both done a great job of taking the history of their former competitors, folding it into their own, um, and really using it as a really good marketing tool. I mean, both the NBA and the National Football League have had uh, throwback nights and they'll sell throwback jerseys. Uh, from their former competitors, you know, uh, former uh, AFL and ABA teams, um, which I think is fascinating. They've embraced uh, their competitors' former history. Uh, the NHL just does not want to do that. <clears throat> and um, it, it's interesting. I've asked a lot of people about this uh, for a long time now, for 10 years now. It's not only that the war between the two leagues has uh, been over for so long. You know, they say that the, the, the war is over, but, but the, now the bodies have been buried for so long, I really don't know what the lingering uh, kind of attitude 
towards the WHA, why it continues. Um, you know, in talking to people who were very frank about it, uh, associated with the leak, they really couldn't quite figure it out because that generation of owners is long gone. Um, you know, it was estimated in 1979 that the WHA had cost uh, the uh, NHL perhaps up to a billion dollars in revenue over the time that the two leagues were competing. And that's 1970s dollars, so that's a lot of money back then. And that uh, losing that kind of money can create uh, uh, some uh, lasting um, ill thoughts. But, you know, that generation of owners and, and, uh, and all both in the league and in the, in the teams, they're long gone. I'm not quite sure why they're still in some quarters animosity towards the uh, World Hockey Association, except the WHA was revolutionary. The WHA struck down the reverse, uh, reserve clause and brought on free agency in hockey. It revolutionized hockey, um, which never would have happened uh, if it was just left to the NHL. So it could be something as simple as that. The economics of the game were changed forever by the WHA. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's no doubt about that. And, um, you know, you'd think that uh, the NHL would feel uh, largely comfortable with its uh, amazing uh, recent uh, financial success. Yeah, a few franchises are a little questionable. But, I mean, you know, when you got Las Vegas or maybe Seattle ponying up almost half a billion dollars to be sort of next in line as an expansion franchise, right, things are probably pretty considered to be pretty rosy. And you wonder where that potential, I mean, what risk there would be to at least tip, uh, you know, the cap towards uh, some level of, of history. You know, you mentioned earlier, and we've had a couple of conversations with some actual uh, former graphic designers who were part of creating logos for various teams and leagues, not in the, uh, not in hockey yet. I don't think we've, we've discussed, but you know, that w- what happens to those logos and stuff? I mean, they, you know, a lot of them have fallen into um, uh, public domain and, and you sort of referenced before there are certainly folks out there that kind of just, you know, rush right in and, and try to make logo wear and that kind of stuff kind of on the cheap. And, you know, you wonder how the people who created those original logos and maybe some of the uh, those assets could, you know, get uh, a little bit of love for that work that they did 30, 40 years ago. You'd think an NHL like like the NBA has done, like uh, Major League Baseball has done with the Negro Leagues, like uh, uh, you mentioned some of the stuff with the NFL, right? You know, that to own and, if you will, operate those logos in many respects, could arguably be considered uh, a more professional caretaking approach to actually preserve that history in a more professional way. Yeah, I've, I've had that discussion. And in 2009 or 2010, we, we had a screening of uh, my documentary about the Indianapolis Racers and the uh, start of Wayne Gretzky as a major leaguer, uh, as an Indianapolis racer, and then an Edmonton Oiler. And we went around the uh, museum displays because we had a lot of WHA players with us, and they were excited to see um, what was in the uh, in the actual museum. <clears throat> and they and we noticed uh, a couple things very quickly. There was a display for Gordie Howe and a display for Bobby Hull, of course, both uh, big stars in the World Hockey Association. Except in their display from 1972 to 1979, they had no statistics. They just weren't there. And then we went around and looked at uh, Mark Messier and Wayne Gretzky's induction plaque into the Hall of Fame there. And the number of years that they played Major League Hockey was off by the number of years that they played in the WHA. They didn't exist. Um, And then we went and 
saw we had, well, there's got to be a WHA display here somewhere. And we found the WHA in a display, which was titled Defunct Minor Leagues. And the look on the WHA players' faces when they saw that and how they were being treated by that Hall of Fame, I will never forget. So that, that should tell you, in, in about 10 or 15 minutes there, we learned everything we needed to know about what that league thinks about um, the history of the WHA. Um, this is why, for the last 10 years, we've gone out of our way and worked very, very hard to make sure that the actual history of the World Hockey Association is uh, preserved and protected and will be shared with generations to come. All right. It's, uh, in a minute, I want to go back to sort of the original sort of seeds of your interest and in your, your growing up as a, as a fan in Indianapolis. But before we do that, um, I want to get into some of the things that you're alluding to, uh, this film that you have and what looks to be a, a relatively recent spurt of, uh, of media, both in printed and in, uh, in I guess, an ongoing video form. Uh, maybe you can regale yep. our audience in, into what, uh, a, a little bit of background as to sort of what I think is a sort of a robust library of stuff uh, that is uh, relatively new in the marketplace. And we'll, we'll, we'll tout it later on the show and how to find it and get it and purchase it and all that kind of stuff. But uh, maybe you can allude to the films that you've done or the, the, uh, the Racers film in particular, uh, as well as what I saw uh, just recently, what I thought was just a masterful idea, the idea to sort of go back into the old uh, uh, media guides and uh, game day programs and literally mine those uh, for, you know, the content that, uh, you know, has not been digitized, not been resold, frankly, hasn't probably been seen in, you know, since the league itself was uh, was running. Yeah, so um, I'm a media guy. I own my own media company. We do film and video and audio. I'm a journalist. I do sports broadcasting. Um, I work for hockey teams. Uh, and I love hockey and now have all this access to the WHA Hall of Fame. So it makes sense that I know how actually to put this stuff together and make it available uh, for people to have. Uh, the proceeds go back in so that we can have another event or fund another documentary. So over the past few years, uh, I've been able to write, produce, and direct a number of documentary, original exclusive documentaries about the World Hockey Association. Uh, we have a three DVD set out. There are two DVDs each. Um, we have a Blu-ray that's the uh, best of uh, that stuff, plus new productions and things that aren't on the DVDs, plus the first ever high-definition film transfer of WHA footage. We found original WHA uh, film and had it transferred to, uh, to HD. So, you know, that was natural for me because I operate a video production company and I can do all that stuff um, and have access to the stuff that's needed. And, you know, I know how to negotiate rights and licenses and acquire stuff and all that kind of stuff. Um, but also there's stuff that needs to be documented in print. Uh, you know, one of uh, the purposes of the WHA Hall of Fame is to correct a lot of repeated history that's just been incorrect about the league um, because there hasn't been a lot of uh, reputable sources about the league. A lot of stories that have been reported earlier just keep getting regurgitated. And we kept seeing this in books, even recent books of stuff that just isn't factually true. So as a lifelong journalist who um, loves to be factually accurate, uh, we also have published books and we have a hardcover book that's kind of a coffee table book that's a photo book 
uh, based on our archives of unreleased photographs, hockey photographs from the WHA, um, and that's a hardcover book. Uh, we have a book that I authored that's a uh, personal history of the Indianapolis Racers, and that's very much the story of a teenager getting sucked into Major League Hockey in this exciting, wacky WHA and seeing people like Pat Stapleton and, and Mark Messier and uh, Wayne Gretzky um, in Indianapolis. And then uh, we have a book about the Winnipeg Jets. Uh, I just signed a deal with a noted uh, Texas historian, who's writing a, a book about the WHA Houston Arrows, which of course is famous for having Gordie Howe and his two sons play, and they won a couple of the WHA um, championships. So we have a series of books. We have a series of videos. We've done some WHA Hall of Fame hockey cards for some of the uh, players that have been inducted into the WHA Hall of Fame, some of them who never had a hockey card before. So we wanted to make sure they could finally have a hockey card. And I, I thought that was uh, interesting. Um, we restored hours and hours and hours of uh, audio and radio broadcasts. Some of this stuff we haven't even uh, been able to make available yet. Um, but just today, uh, we started our streaming video service. I have so much stuff and so many productions um, in our video library. <clears throat> A lot of people don't uh, use DVDs or Blu-ray discs anymore, and they want to be able to look at stuff and clips a la carte. You know, well, I don't want five hours of that. I want that 30-minute uh, section that's about the Cincinnati Stingers. Well, now we're getting that up online, so uh, people can go, you know, through whahof.com. That's our main Hall of Fame website. Um, and they can uh, go and see streaming video and look at that a la carte. So we're trying to keep up with the times and deliver stuff in a way that especially young people who never had a chance to see the WHA can experience this interesting, like, alternate universe. So we are breaking some news on this podcast. We always love to do that. Brand new content coming from uh, the uh, WHA Hall of Fame. And, and this will be news for several months because we're going to uh, um, uh, unleash each Monday a new feature length uh, bit of clips and stuff. So today, our first feature went up. Next Monday and for like the next three or four months, each week there'll be another selection of WHA stuff. And it'll all, it'll all stay up there. The other stuff isn't going to disappear. But it's going to take us months to get it all up there. Uh, and then we're working on some new productions uh, that will follow after that. So we're very excited about that because the whole idea here is to make this stuff available so people can see it. I mean, you referred to our book uh, about the media guides. And we haven't done a lot of reprint stuff of original, uh, of original materials from the WHA. Uh, but this was something that uh, fans and researchers and journalists had asked me for a long time about. In our collection, we have most of the media guides, the yearly guides that teams would put together uh, to give to the media, um, but the league each year also made its own guide. And for those seven years, we took all seven years of those media guides. This was 800 pages total. And it's the kind of thing that if I would have known how massive of a job this was going to be to reproduce these things, <clears throat> as with most of these huge projects, I wouldn't, you know, once you're in the middle of it, you got to keep going. And it's good just not to think about how big of a project that you've taken on. But this was 800 pages that we had to scan and clean up, had to replace a lot of photos that were poor quality with better versions of that exact same photo, and just do a lot of cleanup and, and stuff so that it was an archive version of this uh, for history, but also that could be printed in its original size, um, all 800 pages as one volume that you can just have on the shelf 
and have that really handy encyclopedia about the World Hockey Association. So, yeah, that just came out a couple of weeks ago. I, I think that's brilliant. And frankly, I, I know that there are other folks out there who are pe- more passionate about, say, other sports like uh, pro soccer or the ABA or, you know, the AFL who would love to kind of see the same thing done for those leagues as well. So, I mean, I think there's a lot of jealousy, I think, in terms of uh, you and the WHA. I think that a lot of people would love to uh, perhaps knock on your door for your services. I don't know if you wholesale them, but uh, I, whatever. I think this is, I think this is it's an essential, look, especially in the era of digitization and all that kind of stuff, right? It does get lost. These things do get lost in translation. And, uh, you know, you keep seeing, yeah. you know, people having recollections or they'll scan a page or something and they'll put that on a Twitter feed and it's brand new pieces of information. They, they literally, it's locked into printed pages and you're at least helping sort of unleash those a little bit so that they can be shared and understood and read and consumed by newer generations who don't even know what, frankly, a library is, sadly. If it's even... Well, in- that's a, no, that is absolutely right. And to have them all together because... I talked to so many fans who said, yeah, you know, I was able to find 1973, but uh, no one ever has 1978. It's so expensive to get. So for the, you know, for the price of, uh, of less than buying one of, trying to find one of the vintage things, you get the entire collection. Um, it's just a really, really handy uh, uh, thing. And it's for, especially for hockey fans, if you like vintage hockey, uh, there's something special about having statistics um, and all the information, all the league information. I mean, these things weren't given to fans back in the days. These were given to journalists and guys in the front office of, of hockey teams in the league. So it's this inside peek at a major hockey league um, that's fascinating. And you follow players from one team to another. And you see Glenn Sather, who went on to win the Stanley Cup in the 80s as a player in the WHA, and then his first coaching job in the WHA. And then suddenly he's winning Stanley Cups in the 80s. So for fans of hockey history, you know, to see the uh, Wayne Gretzky um, rookie photo in there in the WHA media guide and the only statistics they have for him is for his junior year, the year before when he was 16. It's fascinating, you know. All right, time for me to catch my breath, get a cool, tasty beverage, and uh, remind you while we do so that uh, our friends at Audible uh, are here to uh, remind you that uh, you can get a free audiobook download uh, of your choice from over 180,000 titles. Uh, if you go to audibletrial.com slash goodseats and uh, use that link, of course, to uh, try for yourself a free audiobook on us, uh, gratis, if you will. And you will love the idea of audiobooks. It's uh, it's an awesome way to kill time uh, and uh, occupy and stimulate your mind, uh, perhaps when your eyes are busy uh, doing uh, something else. And of course, there are plenty of uh, interesting books to be found, especially in the world of sports and sports history. And I think our audience might enjoy a few of these, of course, including uh, the seminal work by uh, baseball uh, legend Jim Bouton. It's called Ball Four. It is uh, not only written, but it's also narrated by him. You could use your free credit for that book. And of course, as you know, Ball Four uh, centers around the 1969 uh, one-year wonder that is the uh, Seattle was the Seattle Pilots of Major League Baseball. But obviously, the uh, the background for a whole lot of other observations about the sport of baseball, and it remains to this day uh, perhaps uh, one of the most celebrated writings about the sport of baseball uh, in this country. Of course, you can also, if you're not a big baseball fan, you can go into the world of soccer. 
uh, with uh, the autobiography called My Turn by Johann Cruyff, the uh, uh, late Johann Cruyff, uh, perhaps one of the world's best ever uh, soccer players. Uh, he of Dutch heritage, of course, uh, plenty of uh, great legendary years at club play as well as national team play. Uh, for the Dutch team, as well as for our audience, maybe a little bit of interest, uh, his journeys in the North American Soccer League in the late 70s and early 80s with the uh, Washington Diplomats uh, and the uh, Los Angeles Aztecs. And of course, if you're into football, uh, there's probably no better book, especially if you find yourself uh, really interested in the sort of deep and rich history of the NFL, with uh, the book called NFL Football, A History of America's New National Pastime. It is written by Richard Crapeau and narrated by Marlon May. That too, uh, is uh, an audiobook that you could choose from over, like I said, uh, 180,000 titles. Uh, there's got to be something in there that's going to be of interest to you. And by all means, give it a try. And we appreciate you doing so at audibletrial.com slash goodseats. And again, you're going to get your free uh, audiobook download. You can cancel it anytime. And again, even if you cancel it, you can keep that book as long as your device exists. So again, we appreciate it. Give it a try. Audibletrial.com slash goodseats. And now back to our conversation. So um, before we get off this uh, this uh, little subtopic here, where are you finding all this stuff? How does how do you find it? How does it find you? Um, and is there more stuff yet to be discovered? I, I think I know the answer to that. Yeah, you know, uh, I tell people, you know, I I have stuff related to the league that there was only one of them that was in the league office and someone has donated to me. I mean, we have a lot of stuff like that. And I explained that this is a lot, as with the footage that we've found, we own a lot of exclusive uh, footage and video that the rights were still retained to. They were not public domain things. And we own all that stuff now and it's first generation broadcast stuff. There was so little of that that existed before we found it. And I say it's very much like uh, an Indiana Jones expedition where you have to go uh, through layers and layers and layers of stuff uh, with collectors, with museums, uh, with fans, with players. Uh, uh, we've been helped a lot with people who at one time or another were involved in ownership of teams in the league and they kept stuff. And a lot of these people had been holding this stuff until there was someone they could trust that it was going to be not used for personal gain. It was going to be used uh, to preserve the history of the league. Um, so we're, you know, very gratified that a lot of people have trusted us uh, with their collections of things and people associated with the league um, had heard stories of giving these kinds of items to other historical institutions. And they were gathering them just to put them in the basement so that they wouldn't be on display. I mean, there was a concerted effort not to show the history of the WHA, and which really concerned a lot of people. And uh, we promised, of course, we would never do that. Um, so we're happy that we've been able to save a lot of stuff from kind of getting uh, um, uh, put away in the corner basements of some museums because they didn't want people to see it. So is there anything uh, that's so, or sort of on your holy grail list that uh, remains elusive that you wonder or seeking out that you have yet to find or or wonder where uh, something like it might be? Yeah. And, you know, this is a classic WHA story um, uh, for the second through the seventh year of the league. The, the league uh, uh, was around from 1972 to 1979. Uh, for the last six years, they had a really 
unique uh, tra- uh, championship trophy, um, which was uh, uh, donated, uh, built by the Avco Financial Services. It no longer exists, but in the 1970s, it was a big insurance company. And it was a very big insurance company, and they were into film production and all kinds of things. And one of their promotional efforts, they paid for this incredibly cool um, championship trophy, the, you know, the WHA's version of the Stanley Cup. And it had a globe, a three-dimensional globe, inside a lucite, clear plastic cylinder that you could see, very futuristic-looking with a silver cup on top of it. Now, that's in the Manitoba Sports Hall of Fame in Winnipeg. The Winnipeg Jets were the last team to win the WHA trophy, so it stayed in Winnipeg when the two teams merged, when the two leagues merged. And it's on display now in the Winnipeg, uh, Manitoba Sports Hall of Fame. When we have events there, they let us use it. They're, they have a wonderful Winnipeg Jets collection at the Manitoba Sports Hall of Fame. However, in the first year of the league, that trophy wasn't done yet. It was such a technological achievement to get this globe and this lucite thing and uh, this, like, uh, uh, very modern uh, trophy for the time. It wasn't done. So the New England Whalers figured, well, do you know what? I think we're going to win the championship here tonight, and we don't have a trophy. And they ran out to a local trophy shop and just got the coolest-looking cup that they could find so that there was something to present to the team that night. And um, we can't find that trophy. And we're still looking for it, and... Uh, the Howard Baldwin, the former owner of the team, thinks he knows where it might be. We can't find it. Some people say that it's in a museum in Nova Scotia. Nope, that's not it. Um, it's not uh, in the Hall of Fame in Toronto. That's the Holy Grail. We want to find that that uh, makeshift temporary uh, championship trophy. Well, uh, Howard Baldwin is on our wish list, and uh, we, I think, are uh, going to be able to talk to Dennis Murphy uh, in a couple of weeks. So perhaps a few few couple of inquiries uh, possibly could be uh, found on that. But there it is to our listeners, if you're listening. And uh, frankly, Tim, you'll be surprised at uh, the various nooks and crannies that this show reaches into. Uh, If anybody has any insight. On the New England Whalers. I am not surprised. I am not surprised at what comes out of some of these queries. Sometimes we won't have a fact that we need to know. And I'll put that question out on our Facebook uh, pages. We have several WHA Hall of Fame Facebook pages that you can go and just do a search for World Hockey Association Hall of Fame on Facebook and you'll find us. One about goaltenders, one about the Holy. And sometimes I just turn to the public. Does anybody know uh, who this is in this photo? We can't identify them. And someone always comes up with it. It's amazing the information once you put that question out into the universe, what you can find. So um, while I think that this trophy is somewhere in a storeroom and just needs to be discovered, um, I wouldn't be surprised if someone calls me up and says, <clears throat> and says, Tim, I've had that in my den for the last 35 years. Yeah, I'm sure. And I guess that, that, that sort of... Uh, uh serendipity i guess is always sort of looming out there right there's probably always going to be something or somebody who's going to find or remember or that they've got something uh that you've been uh, sort of looking to sort of complete uh the collection and uh, and the archives um so i i think i, I was glancing at uh, a couple of the pages of your um, book on the uh, indianapolis racers which is called positive waves the history of the indianapolis racers and the um i think it's sort of the quintessential uh, intro or uh, description of how somebody like you in your early teenage years 
uh, could get so hooked on uh, a team, this franchise, uh, a league. Um, maybe you can kind of just uh, dial back the Wayback Machine a little and sort of give a taste of, because I really want to communicate this passion, right? Because it's obviously that you've, you've gone beyond, like I said before, the call of duty for this kind of stuff. But maybe you can sort yeah. of give our audience a sense of, what it was like your first game why were you there in the first place what appealed to you uh, the whole you know the whole experience what what was it that sort of you know kind of lit your fire so to speak and that you know arguably is not even uh, close to being uh, squelched so if i remember right it was uh, so indianapolis was an expansion team it started in the third year of the league um and i believe i missed all i missed the first seven games of the franchise's history which sounds like, well, no, you didn't lose a lot, but you know, we lost the team at the end of the WHA, and I would do anything right now if I could see seven more games of Indianapolis Racers hockey. I know that sounds a little, a little silly, but um, as a 13-year-old, um, it literally was the first major league sporting event I had ever been to in Indianapolis. Indianapolis is a wonderful Midwest um, city, um, and they support sports teams more like it's a college sports team in Indianapolis. There's that community feel behind it. It's not cynical at all. It's very much, wow, this team is representing Indianapolis. So the feel in the buildings uh, for basketball and football and hockey in Indianapolis is, is much more like a, a collegiate kind of situation. And um, that really infected me. The, the Indianapolis really embraced this team. Um, and it was just so for to a 13 year old, just so colorful. Half the guys spoke French. They all had white guy afros. They wore um, uh, fur coats and disco shoes. They would play and have chains on. Um, no people, very few players were wearing helmets. So you got to see their expressions and their personality um, uh, on the ice. And this was in contrast to the National Hockey League, who at that time, teams were still forcing players to wear matching suits and have crew cuts, and you don't say anything you're not supposed to say, and you're not supposed to have your own personality. In order to compete and attract uh, players from that other league, um, the WHA was were a players' league. Uh, the coach is there to help you, not to yell at you. It was very much the transition in society from the 60s to the 70s. And that was very exciting to me. So I got to see a player like Pat Stapleton, for instance, who in the 1960s was a big star with the Chicago Blackhawks of the NHL. And you see the photos of him with his flat top haircut and wearing his uh, Chicago Blackhawks plaid jacket and doing what he's supposed to do. Uh, he signed and came over to the WHA and suddenly he had this long blonde Dutch boy Beatles haircut and he's wearing bell bottoms and uh, giving press conferences that were uh, uh, just incredibly entertaining. And he said he was able to suddenly be himself. And that was a whole generation of players. And this was an era where, as a, as a kid, we could go to the locker room and wait there, and every single guy would stop and uh, talk to us like we were human beings, like we were people. Um, and that's going to get you uh, excited about your team and start to live and die literally um, with what your team uh, was doing. In many ways, it helped me get into my media career. Um, I do hockey radio now, and that's because of the hockey radio guy for the Indianapolis Racers. He's now a Hall of Fame uh, guy who's still with 
the Indianapolis Colts of the NFL. He's he went on to be the voice of the Pacers, the ABA, and then the NBA Pacers. He's still in Indianapolis as the radio voice of the Indianapolis Colts team. Well, he started as the voice of the WHA Indianapolis Racers, and it's one of the reasons why I'm in broadcasting today. So that's uh, it was just so important in my formative years to have that positive experience with, and this is why the book is called Positive Ways. It became the slogan for the team that. Um, yeah, you know, we're not the best players. We're uh, the collection of players that other teams didn't want. Um, we're an expansion franchise, and nothing's going to stop us. There was this positive feeling around it, and they called it Positive Waves. And uh, the uh, <clears throat> sister website uh, to the WHA Hall of Fame uh, site that we mentioned earlier, uh, which is uh, the deepest repository on the planet devoted to the Indianapolis Racers, uh, is WHARacers.com, WHARacers.com. Uh, and I, I get the sense that this was kind of the first part of your uh, of your uh, exploits, and then that sort of branched out into the, uh, the, the grander WHA league itself? Absolutely right. Um, you know, when I started this journey in about 2007, it was the because it was the personal story that I knew the best. I started with the racers. Now, luckily, the Indianapolis racers had the uh, most famous hockey player in the history of the sport, Wayne Gretzky, begin his career in Indianapolis. So that was the hook that anyone who's interested in hockey history wants to hear that story. Like, if, you know, I try to explain it to people. Like, what if you knew that Babe Ruth played one more year of Major League Hockey in a league you've never heard of before? Would you be interested to hear that story? And that's very much the Wayne Gretzky story in that last year of the World Hockey Association. So we started with the Indianapolis Racers, with that website, and with that book, and suddenly people came out of the woodwork. Hey, we've got video. I, says Tim, you, you probably don't know this, I shot the very first film of Wayne Gretzky as a major, major leaguer, would you like the Super 8 footage? Um, and suddenly it turned into uh, the beginnings of a media archive. Um, and uh, then uh, we were able to sell enough books to be able to go and buy some footage and then sell enough DVDs that we could make another documentary. And then it, then that turned into in about 2009, the WHA hall of fame. So for every Indianapolis racers, right, which is arguably one of the better supported. And you mentioned the fact that Indianapolis, I mean, obviously with the Pacers as well, right. You, you know, what, what a, what a town for, you know, professional sports, right. Which had largely been overlooked that, that the, uh, the city and the region was certainly growing. It was certainly the time, uh, and the place where yeah. pro teams, uh, especially in the two major winter sports, uh, could have a shot and, and be, you know, received and, and, and followed, you know, in a, you said it before, more college-like and more passionate kind of way. But for every one of those teams, right, there seems to have been two or three teams that were, um, oh, I don't know, shall we say wayward, haphazard, or just all and out, uh, uh, just uh, uh, woeful, uh, either on uh, the ice uh, or off the ice or both. Uh, any teams in this uh, litany of uh, of uh, failed franchises, I guess, uh, in the WHA's history that uh, stand out in your mind as either being, uh, you know, interesting or especially notable or uh, ridiculously uh, unique uh, in their uh, in their ways, or is it just sort of one big melting pot of uh, of craziness and wackiness in your mind? 
No, you're, you're absolutely right. You can, you know, there were, uh, I always get this number wrong because some of these franchises came and go or turned into each other. I think it was 26 teams <laughs> eventually were on the ice at one time or another. Um, not at the same time. At the, the largest number was, I think, 16 at, at any number of times. But it fluctuated year by year. They started with 12 teams in the first year. Um, and then the middle uh, years of the league were the most uh, stable, and they were about uh, 14 or 16 teams every year. Um, and then uh, when they merged, there were only seven teams left. So uh, there were real ups and downs, and teams were coming and going. So for every Winnipeg Jets and Edmonton Oilers and New England Whalers and Indianapolis Racers, you have some uh, just completely underfunded franchises. And the WHA, this is the fascinating thing about the, a league like this. They would allow owners who had like $20,000 well, that's enough to get started. Okay, you can take over that team. So, so a, a team that comes to mind especially uh, was the Jersey Knights. So this is the first major league team in the state of New Jersey. The WHA thought, in order to survive, we have to compete in Madison Square Garden in New York City. We need a team in New York City. So they started in the first year with the team in New York City, the uh, New York Raiders. Um, they ran out of money after a year, and so they became the New York Golden Knights who famously wore white uh, hockey skates. They ran out of money halfway through that season, so they moved the team to Cherry Hill, New Jersey. Um, this rink was sold, I think it was from the 1930s, um, and the ice was wavy. So if you shot the ice down, the, shot the puck down the ice, it would skip on the goaltender. Um, also, it wasn't real. They didn't have a lot of light in the corners, so you had to be careful you went into the corners of the rink because you couldn't see exactly what was in there. Um, the players, there were no dressing rooms, so players had to get dressed on the bus and then walk through the crowd to the benches. But, you know, the benches were just part of the stands, so players could come and the fans could come and mess with the players. So when you had an atmosphere like that and a team like that, this is – this made people doubt, gee, can this league survive? What the heck is going on? Then you go to Indianapolis, you have a brand new 17,000 uh, seat arena that at that point was probably one of the best hockey arenas in North America. And um, for media members, this was very confusing. They were legitimate franchises, and then some that, that were, um, that looked a lot like slap shot. And I, you know, now we can laugh about it, and that's what makes the league so fascinating, how it could survive seven years, have so many good players in it, and still have some of these incredibly ridiculous stories. Well, it's especially interesting. You mentioned the Jersey Knights, which I think is an interesting story in and of itself. They only lasted a season from 73 to 74. But I think people also yeah, forget that, Yeah, people forget the fact that the uh, Philadelphia Blazers actually – Right in Cherry Hill, New Jersey, uh -huh. in Philadelphia, were were in Philadelphia the year before, right? So, in some respects, right. what the, what Philadelphia, for whatever reason, uh, and I'm not a Blazers expert, right? I just play one on TV, but uh, you know, the, the, at least there was some WHA experience within the Philadelphia metro area that possibly could have given the Jersey Knights a shot. But I think the really interesting point of that entire story, right? You mentioned the Raiders and the Golden Blades and then the Jersey Knights. And then they, of course, completely absconded in 74 to go to San Diego, right? So they couldn't deal with it that much longer to be on the East Coast. That, that all got into motion, if I'm not mistaken, because originally uh, Messrs. Davidson and uh, and Murphy had designs on getting a an inaugural franchise in the brand new Nassau Coliseum 
And the NHL absolutely right. And the NHL cut them off at the pass before they could even get the them. only reason why the New York Islanders exist is because the WHA started in 1972, and they were going to put the New York Raiders in Nassau Coliseum. Now, if the New York Raiders go in Nassau Coliseum, the WHA absolutely survives in the New York area and would have been a huge problem for the NHL. It would have been very, very successful. That's the reason why the New York Islanders exist. They beat them to it and and uh, uh, put them in that arena so that the uh, WHA uh, couldn't do it. And it's the same reason why, you know, they put a franchise in Kansas City. They put a franchise in Washington, D.C. They were trying to stay one step ahead of places that were going to have a new building that the WHA would go into. All right. Besides Indianapolis, what other team would you sort of call yourself a fan of based on all the stuff that you've learned over the years and um, and uh, and discovered as you've uh, built up this Hall of Fame and all these other sort of supplemental uh, media remembrances? Well, I'm very proud that I, that I, I spent a lot of time in Canada um, and uh, fans of the Winnipeg Jets have nom- nominated me to be an honorary Canadian. And uh, this makes me very proud. I love Canadian culture. I love the game of hockey. I love Winnipeg, Manitoba. For a teenage kid from Indianapolis to become an aficionado and expert on the Winnipeg Jets of the 1970s might be as interesting a story as the WHA story. But I have incredible respect uh, for what the Winnipeg Jets of the 1970s did before the merger with uh, the NHL. They won the league championship three times. Uh, they brought over, they were the first to bring over major European talent uh, to Canada. And one of the great pleasures that I've had in this past 10 years is getting to know my absolutely favorite players from that era of the Winnipeg Jets, Anders Hedberg and Ulf Nilsson uh, from Sweden. Uh, we were able to get them to come back and have a reunion in Winnipeg with Bobby Hall uh, to induct them into the WHA Hall of Fame. Um, and as a kid, uh, I had not had a chance to meet them or talk to them. And as an adult, I found that these people were as much the heroes as I thought they were when I was a kid watching them play. They, had, they were just such wonderful, wonderful people. The hockey fans of Winnipeg, Manitoba, I don't, I don't know if anyone has the kind of passion and love for their Winnipeg Jets and part of that is because, you know, it's a smaller place. It's on the plains and doesn't get the attention that Toronto or Vancouver or Montreal gets. And as a matter of fact, in Canada, you know, there's a lot of uh, people like to make fun of Winnipeg. You know, it's the middle of nowhere. Uh, who cares about Winnipeg? And it's a smaller community that just loves their jets. Um, and they see no difference. You see, this is an interesting thing that's difficult for, for I think, the NHL league offices to understand that in places like Edmonton and Winnipeg, they see no difference between the WHA versions of their team and the NHL versions of their team. They were both major league, and they're both incredibly important. They have incredible pride about them starting in 1972 in the WHA. They, say, they see no difference. So when we had our event there, um, you know, this is for a team in a league that, that went away in 1979, um, it was the first reunion since 1978 of these players there. And we were on the front page of the newspaper <laughs> as the news event of the day. And we had our event and it was swamped with thousands of people. It was insane. Um, and they loved those guys. And um, this was one of the greatest uh, 
you know, personal kind of payments that I got for doing this was to get that together for those people and for the and for those players, some who haven't seen each other for 35 years, and to see that kind of emotion and love and the idea that they knew they had been remembered and that history wasn't going to go away. I think that might be one of my greatest accomplishments. All right. So uh, as we round the corner here, uh, uh, let, let me ask you a question maybe directly related to that, right? So, and this does sort of uh, get into the realm of history and where um, uh, where the official sort of um, uh, tracing of uh, lineage uh, sort of uh, occurs, right? So you talk about the Winnipeg Jets of the WHA. They came into the NHL uh, and then, of course, moved to Phoenix and now are known as the Arizona Coyotes, right? And then Right. The, and the Atlanta Thrashers, right, after having a, a decade or so of, I don't know, more abundantness, if that's a word, uh, then relocating themselves to Winnipeg. And uh, I guess inheriting that legacy from the old team, or does that reside with Arizona? Or So how do you – what is the answer to that, number one? Where, where is that Winnipeg WHA history? Is it both teams? Yeah, you know, this, is, what this is, is so weird. This is so weird. Because when the franchise moved up the road from me, a couple hours north of me to Phoenix, as the Phoenix uh, Coyotes, and now a few years ago they changed it to the Arizona Coyotes, um, uh, when it was moved from Winnipeg, they officially um, were uh, took ownership of all the NHL Jets um, history and statistics. And that's why, even though Bobby Hull, uh, Bobby Hull did play a few games uh um, in the NHL Jets in that very first um, year, just a couple though. They have uh, Bobby Hull's uh, jersey retired uh, in the rafters of the arena in Phoenix, even though he never played uh, for the, the Coyotes. He, he played a few games in the first year of the NHL Jets. And the uh, Coyotes own all of their statistics and everything. Uh, and they've retired the numbers of a couple of the NHL players. This makes no sense to the fans in Phoenix because uh, they never played there. Uh, those people would rather be inducted as uh, part of the new Winnipeg Jets. So, so when the new Winnipeg Jets uh, uh, formed, and uh, luckily that's with local ownership in Manitoba, so this is a real Winnipeg team. Um, you know, they negotiated to get the Jets' name back. It was kind of like the Cleveland Browns coming back to Cleveland, you know. There's no way that that team was going to be called anything other than the Winnipeg Jets. And so they got permission to use the name, um, and they really can't celebrate the previous incarnation of the team's NHL history, but they have embraced the history, the WHA history of the Jets. Because like I said to the people of Winnipeg, they see no difference. Uh, they're still the Jets. And if you scan around on TV and watch the current Winnipeg Jets game in the NHL, you'll see thousands of WHA Winnipeg Jets jerseys in the arena. People really, really, uh, uh, that was the high point of Major League Hockey in the 1970s in Winnipeg. They did nothing as an NHL franchise, um, you know, in the playoffs. They won championships in the WHA. So, uh, so that's a very weird kind of arrangement there. Uh, I think when, they, when the team moved to Phoenix, they never really anticipated that the NHL would allow another franchise to go back into Winnipeg. But uh, we are all very, very happy that the Winnipeg Jets are back where they belong. So in other words, the WHA part of the, the Winnipeg Jets history, whether it's number one or number two, uh, the, the, the subsequent, right? The, are you saying that the WHA version of that history either 
doesn't have an official home or has been adopted by either officially or unofficially by the new current team in Winnipeg? The new current team doesn't ignore it. And they've, and as a matter of fact, they've had WHA Jets nights there. They've had the players back. They've honored them. They've had events. You know, they, they had a, at one of the outdoor games that they had in Winnipeg um, two years ago, they wore their WHA jerseys um, for that NHL outdoor game. So the, the current uh, uh, franchise has done a good job. Uh, they've, they've called me and had me be an advisor to them about that history uh, when they did that um, outdoor event to make sure that the jerseys were correct and that they had some of the data and how to find some of the players in this and that. So they've embraced their WHA history, the current ownership of the Winnipeg Jets. All right. Um, uh, you know, we didn't, uh, we, uh, well, okay. One last thing, and then we'll sort of let you get into some promotional stuff here. So um, it's also very interesting, and I don't know how much you've gotten into this, but this this part is always fascinating. The more asterisk-driven or laden uh, sports history is the more interested I am in it. But uh, the WHA, perhaps more than any other defunct league that uh, we've explored thus far, uh, seems to have perhaps more franchises that were named and never actually played a game uh, than, any other, <laughs> than any other league that I know. I mean, the Calgary Broncos, the Los Angeles Aces, uh, the Miami Screaming Eagles, which was part of uh, Dennis Murphy's original plan uh, as a co-founder of the league, um, the San Francisco Sharks. I mean, I do any of this stuff exist? I mean, I guess the, the, most of it's probably prototype, right? But I got to think that there might have been as part of your collection or your remembrances or maybe part of your uh, holy grail list, uh, either concepts of uniforms or logo designs or, you know, uh, plans that never sort of got any of that stuff sort of in the mix or is that kind of uh, elusive or non-existent? You know, we have a little bit of, we have a little bit of it, but that's of less interest to me because literally in 1970 and 1971, uh, uh, the original creators of the league, a lot of the stuff was really just floated out as PR material. There was never going to be a Miami Screaming Eagles. There was never going to be a Dayton Arrows. There was never going, uh, these teams were never going to actually exist. They were being floated to try to attract um, investors into the teams that they really wanted. They, they did want to put a team in um, Calgary so that Calgary Broncos was an idea that they wanted, but they had no, there was no ownership or money or any actual teams when they announced any of these names or, or places. And later they would end up in Calgary. So that, that was one that, the, that they wanted. I mean, they toyed with the idea of San Francisco. Um, they toyed with the idea of some of these places, but um, these were not legitimate. I mean, so I've seen uh, someone a few years ago came out with a series of pucks for the Miami screening Eagles and the Dayton arrows and some other things. And the, it's just ridiculous. Those teams never actually existed. So that's a, that's of less interest to me because there are enough defunct teams in the WHA that actually took the ice. It's one of these things that we try to center our attention on teams that at least played a game. <laughs> well, that's very, so that's very interesting. It's a very interesting uh, uh, perspective. I, you know, um, and I, I will, I will, I will bookmark that one for my conversation, hopefully with, uh, with Dennis Murphy, because it does seem pretty logical that, you know, that, that it was sort of an effort to, uh, perhaps convey a bit more uh, comprehensiveness, I guess, when you're announcing the league to have those teams and maybe use that as leverage, even though it wasn't necessarily fully uh, 
fully uh, guaranteed yet. Um, that's a pretty interesting concept and thought. I never really kind of thought about that as a sort of as a lever. Yeah, yeah, and, and that, I wouldn't. I wouldn't. I wouldn't be surprised if Dennis denies all that. You know, he's a great promoter. And let's face it, you had to be a great promoter to get this league off the off the ground. But I think when they had their first press release and they had a makeshift logo that looked a lot like the man from Uncle logo. It was only used at this first press conference, and it's, it's really, it's not a great logo, but they needed something, so they made one up for the press conference. And that's a lot what everything they said in the press conference was made up. I think they only had four teams at that time, four real teams with four real owners and four real places to play. And they just made up the rest because no one was going to, it was getting, it was getting along in their plans. And for the press to take them seriously, they had to say they had 12 teams and here's where they are. Um, and to everyone's amazement, they really did start with 12 teams, but in lots of different places than they announced, you know, in the year earlier. Um, and again, this is not to denigrate the people who made this league possible. They did what they had to do against incredible odds to get this uh, league to play even one game. No one gave them even a 1% chance that they were going to drop the puck and have even one game. And then after the first month, they said they won't survive for a second month. And then, oh, well, they won't survive to the halfway mark. Oh, they won't survive the first season. And year after year, they kept pulling the rabbit out of their hat and started to attract fans, millions and millions of fans, and started to do really well at the gate. So, um, uh, you know, they did what they had to do to get that league off the ground. And throughout the league's history, a lot of it was just not telling the truth about how much money they had or how much money an owner had or, or what the actual status of uh, economic status of some of these teams, because a lot of teams like in Indianapolis were living paycheck to paycheck, but somehow managed to keep going. All right. So uh, let's uh, g- uh, take a couple of minutes here for uh, you to uh, go through some of the promotional uh, fodder here. Give us uh, the websites. Give us the uh, the various media that you're uh, that you've got out there. And and what else you got in the hopper that uh, might be coming down the pike? Yeah, this has been a busy spring and summer for us. It's interesting, you know, here in uh, in Tucson when it's the off season, we actually get a lot done for the WHA Hall of Fame. It's really interesting because during the season I'm doing hockey stuff, but when it's 110 degrees out, uh, I tend to get a lot done for the Hockey Hall of Fame, and that's why we have two new books out. Uh, head over to whahof.com. That's our main uh, website. And you'll see uh, there we have a new book of uh, a collection of stories from WHA game programs. And this is a fascinating way to tell the history of the league uh, through the eyes of feature articles uh, about uh, players and teams. You know, we have the new book about the media guys. We have a Winnipeg Jets book and the book about the racers. Uh, that coffee table book that I mentioned uh, before the photo uh, book. We have a Blu-ray and uh, um, DVDs that are available through Amazon. All the links are there at whahof.com. We just launched the streaming video. Head over to Facebook and find the WHA Hall of Fame uh, uh, page there. Uh, so we'll have a couple new books coming up in this um, next year and some more video productions. I'm trying to think what I've what I've forgotten because we've also been involved as a technical advisor in some films and uh, there's some WHA more dramatic films that are uh, in the planning stages that we hope to be involved with. There was a, uh, a dramatic film about Gordie Howe and the Houston Arrows playing with his sons 
that was completed a couple of years ago, and we were the technical director on that. So there's a couple other WHA-related dramatic films that are going to be coming up that we hope to be um, uh, involved in. Um, we're going to release more game audio in this next uh, year. It's, you know, to the point now here to celebrate our 10th year, we're going to put a lot of free stuff out on the web um, for, for hockey fans. It's to the point now where uh, this kind of reminds me of Dick Clark late in his life. He had so much exclusive 1960s rock and roll stuff that he just wouldn't let anyone see. He figured that it would get more and more and more valuable until it was so long from the 1960s that people started to forget uh, those bands and not have nearly as much interest in, in them. And we're getting pretty far along from the WHA era here and players are getting older. And if I was just a kid when the WHA is around and now I'm in my 50s, it's time to get as much of this stuff out into the hands of fans so they can uh, uh, relive uh, and know this history. So I think as part of our 10-year anniversary in this next year, I think there's going to be a lot of media that's going to come out of the WHA Hall of Fame, including our streaming video. Week after week, we're going to release, you know, hours of uh, production that you can stream uh, uh, through uh, our streaming video service. Well, I think it's great. I mean, part of the reason why we do this uh, this little show, um, you know, it, it, besides folks like yourselves who have uh, devoted so much time and passion and energy to uh, preserving things like the WHA and the various teams that were part of it, uh, we also try to uh, endeavor to do quite a lot of first-person stuff, right, uh, as people get older and, uh, you know, because it's sort of a bit of an oral history, right, because uh, in some yeah. respects, some of these things are just going to be lost to time, and, uh, you know, there's so many great stories, and frankly, uh, it's not just history for its own sake, but it's also the roots of what exists today. I mean, you know, how many of the teams, you know, in the diaspora of the NHL, you know, owe either direct or indirect lineages uh, to what uh, got started in the 70s with the WHA. So you're to be commended for uh, for all this hard work, because I don't think it's in vain by any stretch of the imagination, because not only is it fun, I'm sure, uh, and it obviously reminds you of your childhood and the halcyon days of that, right? This is an, that's a feel-good, right? But it's also sure. it's preserving stuff that, you know, look at the NHL. It's, 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 a, it's a monstrosity of a, of a professional league. And, you know, to remember when... It wasn't so uh, robust and, frankly, how a bunch of uh, teams and uh, initiatives and innovations came about in that le in this league uh, was because of either indirect or, or direct uh, uh, evidence and uh, experiences of the WHA. Well, I agree. I mean, I, I say that uh, what I love is when kids in their 20s who are hockey fans discover this and realize it's an alternate universe with these incredibly colorful uniforms and logos. And when they see the footage and um, uh, how these guys were and the personalities, they get so excited about that gets me so, uh, so excited. And, you know, and I explained to them uh, uh, like a Columbus Blue Jacket fans. Well, you know, you have major league hockey here because the WHA had a team in Cincinnati and in Cleveland, um, uh, the owners of the Blue Jackets know that that's why, their mascot um, is actually named after the Cincinnati Stingers. Uh, his name is Stinger uh, of the WHA, a little uh, tip of the hat to, in the 70s, Major League Hockey in Ohio. And there are so many cities now in North America that have Major League Hockey because the WHA, uh, um, you know, were the trailblazers there. Uh, Denver, um, Ontario, you know, Ottawa. 
uh, Calgary, um, Phoenix, uh, all of these places uh, um, had WHA uh, uh, teams first, and that's a history that you know is is worth remembering and embracing. Well, Tim, this has been awesome. I appreciate it. I'm glad we finally got a chance to connect and, and talk, and um, and uh, frankly, just scratch the surface of uh, of all that uh, all the wonderfulness and wackiness that has and was and maybe still is the World Hockey Association. I thank you tremendously, and I know. Our audience is probably going to, is going to be uh, ravenous uh, for uh, this stuff as well, and hopefully we'll get a few new uh, visitors and uh, uh, perhaps purchasers of your stuff. Obviously, we'll have links to all of all of your media stuff from our website when we post this episode, and uh, I look forward to hopefully staying in touch. And I hope you'll keep us uh, in the loop when uh, new events or new items or new uh, projects sort of come out, because uh, you certainly have a form here. Uh, to tout those uh, if and when you're ready to do so. We'd love to have you. Tim, thank you so much for having me on. And please have me back. I'll tell you more crazy stories about the wild and woolly WHA. Because after all, this is supposed to be fun. Hockey is supposed to be fun. And that's uh, perhaps uh, one of the biggest reasons why we continue 10 years on now with the WHA Hall of Fame. Well, there you go. Passion, thy name is Tim Gasson. Thank you very much for that uh, uh, intriguing chat. And uh, let's see, there's a whole host of places that uh, you need to write down and go to, uh, including WHAHOF. That's uh, World Hockey Association Hall of Fame.com. Uh, that's the, uh, the place with all the uh, sort of consolidated WHA stuff that uh, Tim uh, has put together and points to all the uh, various media that we talked about, the books. DVDs, uh, the online video streaming that's uh, just launching. Uh, the sister site and the originator uh, site, I guess, is the uh, the one devoted to the Indianapolis Racers. We talked about that. That's the that's at wharacers.com. Uh, and, um, of course, you can follow uh, Tim and his doings with the WHA Hall of Fame at WHAHOF. That's the Twitter handle there. Uh, and, of course, we will have all kinds of links uh, and further descriptive stuff uh, on our website at goodseatsstillavailable.com. Just search up this episode with Tim Gasson. Uh, you will find uh, all of that there. Uh, you will find convenient links to uh, places like Amazon and uh, and Tim's site directly uh, to make or consider some purchases. Uh, and uh, you will certainly be glad you did. And uh, while you're on our website, we, of course, I uh, love the fact that uh, you hopefully go back and look at uh, or listen to some of our old episodes. They're all there for you uh, for download or for streaming, whatever you want to do. Uh, and you also find all of our social media things there, too. So go to, uh, let's see, on Twitter, we're at uh, Good Seats Still. You'll find us on Instagram at Good Seats Still Available. Uh, you can like us on Facebook. You can even send us email, for God's sakes. And that's uh, hello at goodseatsstillavailable.com. Uh, so pretty damn cool. And um, uh, we... Uh, we look forward to many more uh, episodes around uh, the World Hockey Association. Hopefully we'll get into some of the specific uh, teams, uh, some uh, wacky stories from some of the players and administrators. Uh, yes, we uh, we are uh, on the road to uh, hopefully having a conversation with Dennis Murphy, uh, who we uh, look forward to uh, uh, tremendously to get to, to get to talk to, not only uh, the WHA, but the four or five other challenger leagues that he started up but obviously the WHA being probably the uh, uh, probably the most um, I don't know story filled oh that's probably not true because I mean the ABA was certainly something and 
so whatever. But anyway, so he's uh, he's on our list and hopefully a few others as well. Uh, so there you go. Uh, before we run, I also want to say thank you tremendously to our friends at Podfly Productions, including, of course, the good Dr. Jerry Payne and all his friends and colleagues there at Podfly. And of course, you can find them at podfly.net for all of your podcasting uh, needs. Uh, visit them and uh, get serviced, shall we say, uh, in good stead. All right. I am uh, complete for this week. I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did. And uh, I look forward to seeing you next week. So thank you so much. And we'll uh, we'll talk at you again next week. Bye.